0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly
1: reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Dr Martin Luther King Jr, Chadwick Boseman, Oprah Winfrey, Spike Lee, all graduates of historically black colleges and universities. For more than a century, HBCUs provided the foundation for countless dynamic and influential leaders. Now, some academic finance experts predict that a quarter of those schools could be gone within 20 years. There are 9 HBCUs in Georgia. One of them, Morris Brown College is currently seeking reaccreditation, and I'm joined by race and culture Ernie Suggs to talk about the ups and downs of HBCUs. He's with the AJC. Ernie also collaborated with Eric Sturgis, who couldn't be here, on a series about the health and well being and future of HBCUs. Ernie, welcome.
0: Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, thanks for being here. Start with Morris Brown College in Atlanta, now seeking accreditation more mm. than a decade after losing it, which nearly caused the school to shut down. So you've been covering it for a sure. long time. Can mm. you remind us of what happened?
0: Yeah, and two, well, one thing I want to just uh, offer like a slight correction is that uh, there are, there are nine accredited HBCUs in Georgia. Morris Brown will be the tenth HBCU in Georgia, but they're not accredited. Got it. So thank it's you. Kinda, Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So in 2002. After a 1998 to, through 2002 tenure of Dolores Cross, the school lost its accreditation. She was the president. She was the president. It was a lot of financial mismanagement going on, using financial aid money wrong. So basically, the uh, Southern Association of Colleges and Schools revoked their accreditation. And as you know, and as your listeners would know, well, you don't have accreditation through SACS for a Southern school, a Southern college, and all colleges and schools are accredited through SACS in the South. You don't have eligibility for financial aid or for any kind of federal funding so that money dries up immediately and therefore you don't have you know students can't afford to go to school you're not getting any grant money you're not getting in that funding that you would normally get and expect so the school basically is not technically shut down but it's essentially shut down Mm -hmm. because you know they have probably fewer than 50 students uh, none of them get financial aid. None of them get fine None of them get federal financial aid. They may get loans or something uh-huh. like that. But they, they don't get federal financial aid. Uh, the school is uh, a, a fraction of what it was in terms of its um, property and where where it is. The the footprint. The footprint. If you go by the football field, which was built in, which was dedicated in 1996 for the Olympics, and they played Olympic soccer there, it looks just like a war zone. So. To drive by Morris Brown College is to kind of just to see a, a, a failure of, of leadership, a failure of academic promise. And it just is, it's sad just to kind of see that. And, you know, now, you know, they have a, a new leader who's on social media a lot. He's always, you know, traveling and trying to raise money to get the school accredited, to get the school uh, back on, you know, on, on, on solid ground. So, and, but that's going to be a long struggle. It's mm-hmm. been 2002 since they lost accreditation. Um, you know, they were in so much debt. They're having a hard time raising money. They've always had a hard time raising money. And, you know, at one point, you know, this school probably had, you know, two or 3,000 students, probably twenty. 20- 25 years ago
1: now 48 I now think. now
0: about 48 students
1: yeah yeah, yeah. well it's, so the, the the interim president you're speaking of his name is kevin james mm-hmm. he says it's going to be accredited within 12 to 18 months but this is accreditation from the transnational association of christian colleges and schools what's the difference in that and SACS, which you mentioned earlier? Uh, well SACS
0: is kind of like you know i guess the gold Sachs, standard it's yeah it's kind of the major leagues of, of accreditation all southern schools university of north carolina university of georgia Spellman, Morehouse—they're all accredited by SACS. That's what you want to be accredited by. Um, the Transnational is a—it's an accrediting agency for Christian schools. It's not SACS. There's probably a limited amount of federal funding that you can get, but it's still not SACS. It's still—you're not a SACS-affiliated school. Um, when I mentioned when I uh, corrected you, and I apologize for that. When I mentioned that there were ten HBCUs, the reason that there were ten—the reason that there are nine listed HBCUs—is that the federal government doesn't recognize Morris Brown because they're not accredited oh, through SACs. So right. that's why you have nine instead of 10 in Georgia.
1: Well, so now Kevin James says it's going to work. It's going to be accredited within 12 to 18 months. They are on a capital campaign to make that happen. Uh, they're at $260,000 on the way to $5 million. So how realistic is this goal, do you think? It's going to be
0: tough. I mean, you can look. Um, you know, about 250, 300 miles north to Greensboro, North Carolina, Bennett College. Mm-hmm. Bennett College was in the same situation. Last year, uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this year. Well, yeah, last year. Mm-hmm. They raised $8 million. They raised about $9 million of an $8 million goal because they were in in, in threat of losing their accreditation to SACS. They raised that money, but SACS still revoked their accreditation because they didn't feel that they had a sustainable model for sustaining that money. So it's just like if if you can't pay your rent and I give you 500 $500, to pay your rent. What are you gonna do next month when you when I when you spent that five hundred dollars? So that's basically what Sachs was saying to Bennett College. So Bennett College is now suing Sachs because they raised the eight million dollars and they, they weren't given their accreditation back and now they are accredited by Sachs but it's going through court now. But they're also trying, as as you mentioned with Morris Brown to get that transnational accreditation which is, as a poor christian school.
1: Now Ernie your own newspaper reported in 2015 that graduation rates in HBCUs lower than 20%. Mm-hmm. A lot of financial challenges. Are these just happening for HBCUs or is this other small private colleges they're all tuition dependent yeah, for yeah. the most Yeah, I mean part.
0: all well uh, uh, there are more public um, HBCUs and private HBCUs um, for your for your listeners, but yeah, it, this is happening at small colleges. I mean, HBCUs are under a greater microscope, particularly in the north, in the south, because you know they have such a great influence on on African Americans in the south and building the black middle class in the south. So we know about HBCUs. So you get you know you get series and stories from Eric and I about them, but it's happening at all small colleges, all small colleges. There have been. You know, for all for every HBCU that's closed over the last 20 years, there's been a, a white school that's closed over the last 20 years. So, you know, it's just not something that's endemic to HBCUs. It's just it probably hurts a little bit more because of the purpose that they serve and, and, and what they mean to the culture and to um, the communities that they serve. So it may hurt a little bit more, um, but it's happening at a lot of places.
1: And this is one of the, the cases, made that... There was, a, for a long time, that was the only choice for black students. Now there are many, many yeah. choices, so there's no longer the same sign of kind of filial bond or, you know, the kind of financial bonds that many people once had.
0: Yeah. there. I mean, I was having a conversation, if I can get personal a little bit. I went to North Carolina Central University, which is a historically black college in North Carolina, in Durham, North Carolina, and we just tore down our male dormitory called Chili Hall. It had been around since 1951, and I lived there, and it was the only male dormitory on campus for... You know, since 1951. So every man that went to North Carolina Central University from 1951 to about 2002 lived in that dormitory. They tore it down recently. And a lot of people are upset about the fact that they tore it down, but the reason that they tore it down was because the building was obsolete. And when you have a building that is obsolete like that, regardless of how historic it is, it's not going to attract students that you want at that school. Students now want dormitories with suites. Mm-hmm. They want co-ed dormitories. They want co-eds. They want dormitories with cafeterias in them, which that building, as, as much as we love that building, did not have. So HBCUs have to put themselves in a position to compete with white schools, to compete with rich small schools, to get these top students. Because, yeah, at one point when I was going to college— you know, well, not when I was going to college. I could have gone to any college I wanted to. But at, at some point, North Carolina Central University was a destination college for a lot of black people in North Carolina. Now it is not. Now, I, you know, kids can go to UNC or Duke or you, you know, UNCG just as easily and get more money, more benefits. You know, so these schools have to start competing. Um, for these top students so it's not the only place you can go anymore so therefore it becomes more difficult to raise money more more difficult to be attractive and you got to come up with ways to be that
1: my guest is AJC races race and culture reporter Ernie Suggs we're talking about the history and legacies of HBCU's Atlanta's Morris Brown College is currently fighting to regain accreditation well I'm glad you mentioned that you know the idea of the single gender or the single single sex college this is, and competing in the contemporary universe in the same neighborhood as Morris Brown, we have Morehouse College uh, this year, just recently approved transgender student enrollment in their new policy. So, transgender students can enroll. Uh, they are there for the 2020 semester. And students who are currently enrolled are not affected by the policy. Now, this is a major step for the college, considering that it was dedicated to the education of African American men. So, what has the response been? Uh, the response has been
0: uh, mixed I think you know if you look on social media a lot of a lot of students are upset about it, or a lot of alums are upset about it because as you said Morehouse College was founded on a certain principle uh, to educate black men you know black men um, were not being educated or well, they were being educated but black men this was a, a special place for them it's a place that you know birth Martin Luther King jr. Samuel Boas Cook Spike Lee so many so many great men who who have done great things in america not to say that you know men who are gay or transgender don't belong there but it's a different step it's a, it's, it's taking the school in a different direction and that's going to be a lot of that's a lot of change for a lot of people and a lot of people have to come to that exception to that expectation that this is going to be changed. And it's going to be tough. I mean, Spelman is going through the same thing with their students in terms of accepting uh, transgender students. They started in 2017. They started in 2017. Just like, you know, and I think a lot of the the prominent, significant all-female schools in the Northeast have been doing that for years. And Spelman kind of just kind of followed that path. Single-sex schools have to be open to kind of Looking at that as people start identifying themselves in different ways.
1: And on the other side, there have been people who said, this is, doesn't go far enough. There are exemptions exactly, here. Exactly. But, you know, yeah. if somebody is transitioning, mm-hmm. they can't be a student. If they're transitioning male to female, yeah, they exactly. couldn't be a student. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, the culture is certainly more comfortable with having conversations surrounding LGBT. Yeah. And as we move forward on national and political policies with the history of Morehouse's tradition,
0: do you think it's going to ultimately help or hurt the university? I, mean, I don't know if it'll help or help. I mean, help or hurt. I don't think it'll hurt. I don't think anything will hurt more. I mean, Morehouse College or, or Spelman College because they're two very you know good schools with good reputations.
1: Interesting point here. I mean, there are a number of small HBCUs that have financial and economic challenges. H5 have closed since 1989. So what are the bigger ones like Spelman and Morehouse doing that others have not?
0: Well, Spelman and Morehouse. Let, let's let's look at them as private schools. They're private schools. They are small. You know, they're you know Clark Atlanta has more students. Georgia State has more black students than every HBCU in the country. Actually, actually, um, but more I mean, Morehouse and Spelman are special in a sense that they have alums who um, support, give back, who give back. Mm-hmm. I mean, not. You know, Claflin College gives back. Their alums give back at about a fifty percent clip, which is unprecedented. Only about four HBCUs get back at about 20 percent, Spelman being one, um, which is really good, really good. I mean, um, I think on average, HBCU alums get back about three percent, which is very, very bad. But Morris, I mean, I keep saying Morris Brown, but Morehouse and Spelman have alums and they have reputations. They have solid track records of, of, of placing students in graduate schools, placing students in good programs after college uh, placing students in good jobs at the college and they have good reputations and they can they sustain those reputations. Um, you walk on their campuses and they they let you know that you're on Morehouse and Spelman's campus, which I think a lot of HBCUs don't do. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, public HBCUs are in a different boat. You know, you have North Carolina A and T, which has thirteen thousand students, Howard Florida A and M, my school North Carolina Central University, all of which have in excess of 10,000 students. So you have these large HBCUs that have state funding that are doing very well financially, and they're in, in no danger of, of of being lost. So
1: so we're up against a break, uh, Ernie, but I do want you to stick around with us. We're going to continue to have a conversation with AJC race and culture reporter Ernie Suggs. Pick up the conversation after a short break. But a little program note before we head into the break. We did have... a. Yesterday, a conversation with our cohort, Don Smith, producing Rich's Remembered for GBB Originals. He got his World Wars wrong. Rich's employees sang soldier songs when the doors opened at the store during World War I. Not the second World War, as he said on yesterday's show. He does apologize. We got some great comments from you in our Facebook group asking you to share your memories of Rich's department store, some terrific ones. Uh, Some said they were listening to their childhood and the pink pig and the tree lighting. You can join theirs and go to our Facebook group, GBB Radio's On Second Thought. We'll be right back with more of On Second Thought and Ernie Suggs after a quick break. We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. i Virginia Prescott, along with Ernie Suggs, who's looked closely at the issues surrounding historically black colleges and universities. He's a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who covers race and culture and education. So, Ernie, let's look. But You talked a little bit about the legacy earlier, but let's look at how the black education system helped build this middle class that we know today.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, the first HBCU, uh, we talked about it earlier during the break, uh, Cheney University, or a lot of people argue that uh, Lincoln, Cheney was founded in 1837, Lincoln was founded in 1856, um, both in Pennsylvania. Shaw University was founded in 1865 in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the first HBCU in the South. So if you look at that, if you look at those three uh, years, 1865 is right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And right after the Civil War, during the Reconstruction, all of these HBCUs started popping up. And these are HBCUs that are freeing that are teaching the sons and daughters of former slaves and slaves. So you're you're automatically and you know, obviously the educational system wasn't as advanced as it should have been or could have been, but you're creating a network of colleges, of over a hundred colleges that are protecting and educating these former slaves and building something, building a black middle class. Um I keep going back to my HBCU. But there was a discussion on our Facebook page about, you know, what generational sc- curses have you broken? Mm-hmm. And by the, that, what that question means is that, you know, well, the answer to a lot of that question was that I was the first person in my family to go to college. And you, when you consider that the first HBCU started in 1837, and you still have a large majority of students on black college campuses who are still the first people in their family to go to college. That's amazing. And that automatically changes your family's trajectory. It changes the path of your family because, you you know, you're going from high school graduates and, you know, jobs that are getting by That are just getting by to being able to go to graduate school being able to get a job at a fortune 500 company being able to go and teach or do something productive so they continue to build the black middle class They continue to serve that purpose of kind of building us and serving giving us a landing place to go to get that education sure there are places we can go anywhere we want to go right now you know. As opposed to 20, 30, 40 years ago, but those HBCUs are so important in a, in a sense that we have that place that we know we can go, that we know we're going to be nurtured, we know we're going to be looked after. You know, I still talk to you know I graduated from college 1990. I'm still very close to a lot of my professors that I still talk to, still get advice from. They still offer me advice sometimes unsolicited. Um, but that's part of what that HBCU, that HBCU experience is. And it's kind of just kind of building. I'm the first person in my family to go to college and, you know, my life is totally different than what it would have been had I not gone to college.
1: Well, and you did a series HBCU journeys. This is you wrote a series for the newspaper, but mm-hmm. also did the series of podcasts. Yes, yes. And to a person, those that you spoke to, they were talked about having they were attracted to a sense of belonging, a yes. sense of yeah. sisterhood or brotherhood, mm-hmm. and also being academically pushed yeah. forward, being challenged. Yeah. So, yeah. so those ingredients. In fact, we can hear just a little bit. This is from one of the podcasts. This is HBCU journeys.
0: Okay. So I like to say that um, I didn't choose Spellman. Spellman chose me. Um, I went on an uh, HBCU tour when I was in the eighth grade, and I got a chance to visit different HBCUs, and Spellman was one of them. And um, from there, I got to uh, participate in a pre enrollment program at Spellman, and that's where I really made my choice. Um, I got to attend Spellbound. Um, so that's something that you get to go to when you first get accepted, and yeah, that's how I ended up at Spelman. So yeah.
1: the, 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 those kind of stories
0: you've heard over and over. Those again. Those are the kind of stories I've heard pretty much all my life, and that was uh, Tiffany Green. She was a graduate, twenty fourteen graduate of Spelman College. I didn't know you were going to play that, but she was the uh, she was the. Um, The catalyst for all why we wanted to do the podcast based on a photograph we took of her several years ago when she graduated. And um, the photograph was such an indelible image of her getting her diploma from Spelman College that, you know, years later when we decided to do the series and podcast, we wanted to revisit her to see how her life has turned out um, post Spelman graduation. So,
1: well, you know, besides her women like her mm-hmm. and others that you spoke to of course we have the the great legacy of Dr Martin Luther King Jr attending Morehouse and when i first moved to atlanta somebody told me that what explains atlanta is the presence of hbcus that there is this you know educated black middle class mm-hmm. that are, does not exist in such in such plentiful form yeah. in other cities mm-hmm. and that there was also that was part of the Basis of the foundation of the civil rights movement. You had an educated class of people. What what role do you think that that has played?
0: It played a tremendous role. I mean, it, not only in Georgia, but in Alabama um, A lot of the people who were leaders of the HBC or leaders of the civil rights movement were affiliated with colleges They would all obviously have been well, Not all of them, but a lot of them had been HBC HBCU graduates or HBC students uh, the Atlanta <clears throat> the Atlanta student movement right here in Atlanta is you know that kind of basically sustained the civil rights movement here in Atlanta, although Martin Luther King Jr. graduated from Morehouse College. 1960, February 1st, 1960, at, at, at North Carolina A&T, which is my college's rival, but I have to give them credit for starting the sit-in movement They with four students at North Carolina A&T. Bennett College, um, you know, one of the things about Bennett College, and, you know, hopefully we were not going to lose that college, but the, the ladies of Bennett College played a very, very integral role and helping with the sit-in movements in Greensboro and kind of spurring that whole thing. The sit-in movements in, in, in ten Nashville, Tennessee, and the and the um, the Freedom Rise. These are all HBCU students. These are all HBCU graduates. So they played a tremendous role in, in, in helping define and shape the civil rights movement. And the fact that Atlanta has so many HBCUs in a, such a concentrated area, This is the most concentrated area of HBCUs in the country, although North Carolina has more um, HBCUs spread out all over the state. But, yeah, it, it made a difference to have all that black intellectual power in one central place to kind of spur and spark this movement.
1: So this podcast series has ended, you've ended the, I'm sure you're going to continue to report on this, but but after working on this series, what do you see as the future of these historic colleges? You know, we already made the point where people have so many choices now. 50 years ago, 90% of all black college students went to black colleges. Now 90% are at mostly white schools. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I, I don't have the dire um, outlook that some of the experts have. Um, I think a lot of the HBCUs are going to survive. I mean, as a matter of fact, over the last two years, the last set of data that we have from 2017, HBCU enrollment is up 2.1%. So it's gone up from um, 292,000 to 298,000, which is a little bit under 300,000 students. Uh, Each of the nine HBCUs in Georgia, seven of the nine HBCUs in Georgia between 2016 and 2017 have seen increases in enrollment. Savannah State and I think Albany State have seen declines. So I think that, you know, I think we're going to be okay. We're going to lose some. We lost, you know, since we published the series, we've lost two HBCUs. Uh, and perhaps maybe Bennett, hopefully not. But, you know, I think we're gonna be okay. And I think they'll all come be back
1: okay. because of Beyonce.
0: Oh my God, she's great. <laughs> we didn't talk about Beyonce.
1: <laughs> Ernie, there's so much more I could talk with you about. Yeah. Thank you so much with, for speaking with well, us. Well, thank you for having me, it's been great. That's Ernie Suggs, he's a race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
0: At a time when information
1: continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause.